Welcome to another episode of Where in the Folk. Woo! I am David. Next to me is the lovely Cecil. And today we have a return guest that we loved having on last time. Former New York City police officer and author, Vic Ferrari. How are you doing, Vic? I'm doing great, boys. How are you guys doing? And thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thank you for coming back. We're doing very swimmingly. <laughs> swimmingly, oh, chap. <laughs> So, Vic, if they are not familiar with you um, or have not listened to anything you've been on with the multiple podcasts you've been on, which are fucking always awesome, tell them where in the folk you're at. Um, I'm a retired NYPD cop and detective. I did 20 years with the New York City Police Department. I'm from New York City, originally born and raised. Um, I had an interesting career. I worked uh, my last 10 years in organized crime with the uh, NYPD's auto crime division. So anything with chop shops or stolen vehicles being exported out of the country or stolen car rings. Like if you ever saw the movie Heat, we'd go after crews of guys and, you know, sometimes it got into homicides. We cleared a lot of homicides and uh, I retired about 15 years ago. I was bored out of my mind. I got into writing and um I've written four books about the New York City Police Department and the ridiculous things that go on behind the scenes that people don't really know when you would find interesting. And uh, I've been lucky enough to go on, you know, radio shows and podcasts like you guys and talk about my experiences. Awesome. And we do have four of them in the house with a fifth on the way. <laughs> yeah, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. But, uh, the titles of uh, Vic's books are uh, Grand Theft Auto. Uh, the NYPD's Auto Crime Division, uh, NYPD Through the Looking Glass, stories from inside America's largest police department, the NYPD's Flying Circus, uh, Cops, Crimes, and Chaos, and one of the most creative titles ever, Dickheads and Debauchery <laughs> and Other Ingenious Ways to Die. And what's the name of the new one? NYPD Law and Disorder. You got a copy of that one there, don't you? I do. Hold on. Uh, it's got a picture of a guy bolting out of a police car, escaping with a cop standing there scratching his head. <laughs> <laughs> Which really happened. <laughs> you said that really happened? Yeah. <laughs> I watched it happen right in front of me. I like the one. Can we hear about that one? <laughs> yeah. So I was in the, this is a good story. So I worked in the auto crime division and I worked with a six foot five, 300 pound Chinese detective who I used to call Bok Choi, my humble Asian sidekick. And he used to refer to me as Lo Fan, which means evil white ghost in Cantonese. So <laughs> Bok Choi was a great guy, but he, he, he was also at six, five, 300 pounds. He was narcoleptic. So what would happen is, if he was driving or doing something, he was just fine. But if he was in the passenger seat within a minute, he'd nod off. So you had to let him drive or do something or he would pass out. So one time he, he came up to me and he asked me, he said, uh, you know, uh, I'm low on arrest. I, I need arrest. I says, well, why don't you go and find um, the rental car companies? What they'll do is when they're missing cars, they'll send out a list to us like they're missing these cars. So long story short, we tracked this stolen car to Kennedy airport at one of the motels. So we're, we're sitting on the stolen car and we're waiting for somebody to get into it so we could pounce on him. And, uh, I says, all right, this is what we're going to do. When the, the, the back of the car was parked to the wall of the building. So I said, when any, whoever gets in that car, just roll up to the bumper and pin them in. We'll jump out. We'll pull We'll pull the occupants out of the car. All right. Sounds good. So there's three of us in the car. Young guy and a girl go up to the car. Guy goes for the driver's side. He gets in. The girl gets in the passenger seat. We roll up, pin the bumper, get right against the bumper. We jump out. Me and Bok Choi are on the passenger side. We go for the female. So we're getting her cuffed up. I look over the car, and I see the other cop is in the fight of his life with this guy. They're just wrestling, and they're getting thrown around. I go, hold her. I run around the car. I dive on the guy. So now the three of us are now, and this is July. Okay, so it's hot in New York. And if you've ever been wrestling with somebody on the pavement on blacktop, it's like playing Twister on the sun. All right. So while the three of us got to know each other on the ground, finally get the handcuffs on this kid. He's probably in his early 20s. We pull a loaded 380 semi-automatic out of his pocket. Right. So now we know why he was fighting us so much. He didn't want to go to jail for the gun. Right. So he's cursing up a storm. 
So we get on the radio and we call for a marked radio car, a, a police car to give us a hand because we've got we've got a stolen car to bring back to the precinct and we've got two prisoners. So these two rookie cops pull up and um, we hand them the badass, the guy that was fighting. And I, I remember telling these two rookie cops, I go, watch this guy. He's he's a badass. There's a story with him. You know, we we got to wait until his prints come back. So they blow us off. They put this kid in the back seat. No, but an NYPD policy mandates when you got a prisoner in the car, someone should sit in the back seat with him. You can't it's they don't have the cage. Well, they have the cages now, but they didn't have the cages then. So these two rookie cops put this badass in the back of their car and they drive off. So we throw the female prisoner in the back of our car and we follow them. So we get on the highway, we get off the highway, and as the radio car in front of us pulls, stops to a light, I see the badass in the back seat kind of wiggling around. Well, what he did was he was a skinny kid. He was able to get his handcuffs from in back of him to the front of him. He opens up the back door of the radio car and pops out and <laughs> starts taking off running. I'm like, oh, shit, right? So <laughs> Bok Choi goes, uh, Lofan, what we do now? I says, hold on. I mount the sidewalk and I'm knocking over garbage cans, like trying to hit this kid. And I'm like, Bok Choi, throw the door open and hit him with the door, right? Just before I, I get up to this kid, he hooks a right, he's handcuffed, front cuffed, he runs through these yards. So I go around the corner with the police car, I jump out. After a couple of minutes, we find him, he's hiding underneath a parked car. We drag him out, he's still cursing, fuck you. I mean, just, I mean, he did not want to go to jail. So we charge him with the stolen car. We charge him with the gun. And, uh, you know, we send the gun off to the lab. About a week later, I get a call from an ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms agent. And he says, um, you know, we see you recovered this gun and blah, 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 blah. I go, yeah. He goes, that gun's got an interesting past. I says, well, I says, so does the prisoner. I says, he's got this really lengthy record. So check this out. So the gun that we took off this kid, about a month before, this kid was having baby mama's drama with this other guy. They were fighting over the same woman. So our prisoner took that 380 and shot this guy in the ass. <laughs> Damn. <Right? laughs> so now he shoots this guy in the ass. The police come. The guy's got a bullet in his ass. And he refuses to identify the guy that shot him in the ass. Because, you know, snitches get stitches. And he figures he's going to get a hand on a gun and he's going to settle this in street court. He's going to come back and kill this kid that shot him in the ass. Well, before he gets a gun to, to, to settle it, the guy that shot him in the ass comes back a second time a couple of days later after he gets released from the hospital and puts two in his head and kills him. So I asked the ATF agent, I go, so what you're telling me is the gun matches the bullet in his ass matches the bullets in the victim's head. He goes, yeah. He goes, had he just pressed charges, you know, he, he wouldn't have been dead, but he figured he was going to settle it in street court, but our badass got to him first. So that's a story from my book, NYPD Law and Disorder, and that's entitled, what was that entitled? One gun, two bullets, one ass. <laughs> oh, God damn. He's a master <laughs> of these titles. I love it. man. I, oh, you want to hear another one with funny, a gun one? Do it, do it. <laughs> All right, so we take down the. So whenever you take down a major case, there's always going to be a couple of bad guys that gets away. So there was this this badass. He he was a car thief, and um, we took down this case. We rounded up all his friends, but he slipped away. We didn't get him. So for like a month, I was like hanging out outside his mother's building, and he sh changed his appearance. Like he shaved his hair, he started dressing differently. But I recognized him, and we grabbed him. So he knows he's going to do a little jail time and he's in the back seat of the car. And I said, you know, I says, you're a slippery bastard, man. It took me a while to find you. He goes, yeah, because I didn't want to go to jail. And I said, you know, I says, I got to ask you. I says, I was looking at your rap sheet while I was looking for you. I saw you took an arrest for shooting a guy and you were carrying two guns. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I got screwed on that one. I says, how'd you get screwed on that one? He goes, well, he goes, whenever I went to my girlfriend's building, he goes, there was this scumbag that always used to break my balls. He goes, so one day I slapped the shit out of him. So like in the Bronx, if you pull something like that, it's not over. 
You know, that's like slapping somebody and challenging them to a duel. That that's far from over. So he says, I knew what he goes after slapping the shit out of him. He goes, I knew I was going to have a problem. He goes, so what I anytime I go to my girlfriend's building, I carry a 25, a little 25 Beretta in my in my boot. He goes, just in case this guy came back for me. He goes, so about a month later, he goes, I go into my girlfriend's building. He goes, and who's waiting for me? And he goes, he got the drop on me. He goes, he had a nine millimeter in his hand. He goes, I didn't get a chance to go for my boot. He goes, so I go, so what'd you do? He goes, I got on my knees. Excuse me. He goes, I was begging for my life. He goes, and when the guy turned around to get his friend's reaction, like, cause they were all laughing. He goes, he turned around. He was goofing around with his friends. He goes, when he turned around, he goes, I reached into my boot, pulled out my 25 and shot him in his ass. <laughs> I said, you gotta be kidding me. He goes, yeah. He goes, you scream like a little bitch. I go, so what'd you do then? He goes, well, after I shot him in the ass, he goes, he dropped the nine millimeter on the ground. He goes, I picked up his nine millimeter, stuck my 25 in my boot. and I ran into the building. I go, well, how'd you get caught? He goes, my fucking girlfriend wasn't home. He goes, I had nowhere to hide in the building. He goes, so when the cops came into the building, they fucking grabbed me in the hallway with the two guns. I go, why didn't you throw, why didn't you get away? Why didn't you throw the guns away? Like you could have thrown the gun in the incinerator. You could have left it somewhere. He goes, yo, he goes, the 25, I paid 300 bucks for. He goes, and the nine millimeter I took off that guy. He goes, I wanted to keep as a trophy. He goes, he goes, so I got arrested. He goes, and can you believe that fucking guy? He goes, after I shot him in the ass, he goes, he, he pressed charges on me and wouldn't admit the nine millimeter was his. So he got in trouble for shooting the guy in the ass and the guy pressed charges on him. And he, he took a rap for shooting the guy in the ass and carrying two guns. So that, that, that is one ass and two guns, one bullet. <laughs> God, my. I could see it. I could get drunk and listen to you tell this shit all day. <laughs> you know, a lot of people keep telling me I should put my books on audiobook, but I, I don't know if I could hang in there and read my book like that. You know what I mean? It's it, it just I think I, I it just doesn't seem like I could pull it off. That would be something where maybe you could outs- outsource voice talent. To do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's but I have to pay somebody. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. But the 380 though, man. If he's buying ammo now, he'd have to he'd have to save up to buy the fucking ammo for it. <laughs> oh God, I know. Yeah, ammo, ammo. The price of ammo is going through the roof. So I'm going I'm going to tell you about well a couple guys and a couple more guys that uh, we know that have been kind of gun crazy this yeah, summer. That's me. So we've uh, <laughs> we picked up uh, a good bit of uh, firepower this this summer between all of us. I think we've got. We got the bug for it for some reason. Yeah. Um, I got the bug for it whenever I heard they was going to try to ban them, and I was like, "Well, shit, I got, I got to get as many as I can get." <laughs> and um, twenty-two ammo up here is really hard to find, or it was. So every time I found twenty-two ammo, I buy some. So I've got probably eight thousand rounds of twenty-two ammo. I don't even own a twenty-two. <laughs> Doesn't even have a twenty-two caliber. Oh, wow. <laughs> I tell you how crazy it is. I got nine millimeter and AR five five six. We got <laughs> the the we have the redneck strip malls, in other words, called flea markets here. Yeah. And uh, what was the guy selling them in a? Um, he was he no shit. He was selling twenty two ammo like drugs. He had them in little Ziploc bags, plastic baggies, like crack, like crack. Ten rounds for ten dollars. <laughs> You know, it's fine. I was just telling something. The, per- the look on the person's face, their mouth was hanging open. When I, when I was a cop in, in the late 80s, early 90s, I mean, drugs was so bad. So you would drive by like an abandoned building and you would see a lot like you just see like maybe 50, 60, 100 junkies just kind of swarming around. Right. And a drug, the drug spots was so intricate, like a drug spot would have like a manager. So. What they would do is the manager would come outside because the guy that's dealing, he doesn't want to get caught holding a lot of shit. So what they do is they wait till they have enough customers outside, right? And then the manager would come around and go, all right, motherfuckers, get your money ready. Let's go, 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 right? You see a fucking line form, uh, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And if somebody was fumbling around with the money or didn't have enough money, he'd get punched in the face and thrown off the crack line. And (laughs) you'd have a guy come out, boom, 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 just like heroin or crack. Boom, 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 boom. One guy, one guy would be collecting the money. The other guy would be hitting him off. Once he was done, they would take off, and then they'd wait, 
rinse and repeat and come back. Then you had what a lot of the abandoned buildings, and that, that's a story from one of my books. You In the South Bronx, you had think, – think of it this way, like blocks of abandoned buildings, six-story walk-ups abandoned, like blocks of them. So what, what the drug dealers would do is they would come in through the back of the buildings, right? And these buildings were sealed up, so they would punch holes through the concrete cinder blocks that they used to wall up these buildings, right? They'd get into the abandoned buildings, and then they would punch a hole in the wall, and customers would come by – and stick money through the hole and they'd get cracked. And it was next to impossible to catch the dealers because you didn't know where they were in the building, what entrance they were in. It's dark. So what guys used to do is they would spray mace through the hole. They would throw like cherry bombs and blockbusters in the abandoned buildings. You wham and you'd hear fucking screaming going on in there. Like some of those old time cops were crazy. <laughs> that reminds me of a little place that used to that used to exist in Clay County. Um, it was a drive-through. It was at a house, and you could just drive up and get whatever you wanted—pills, whatever. And the way they got busted, you know, them counters they have at fast food restaurants. Yeah. Like for the drive-through. Sure. That at the end of the guy's drive-through, and he had more traffic in a day than Wendy's did. Oh, I believe that. <laughs> oh, 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 I believe that. You know, it, it's funny. Like in New York City. It it wasn't like that, like different corners sold different things. Like if one guy was selling crack, another guy would be selling heroin. Or if one guy was selling crack, the guy across the street would be selling it by a different, um, uh, like the crack vial would have blue tops, whereas the other guy would have red tops or yellow tops. And, and, and it. yeah, it was different. Like it was rare that you would find, I mean, it happened. But it was rare that you would have like a weed spot selling crack or a heroin spot selling. It just it just was different brands. And what I hated, I worked in narcotics and what I hated about narcotics was every now and then our undercovers would buy angel dust. And that stuff was the worst because it smelled so bad. And it used to come in a little paper manila envelope and you can get a contact high just handling that shit. It's not like. You know, it's almost like fentanyl, like where you where they say, like, even like just touching something, you can get like sick just, you know, like touching it. And I used to tell my undercovers, I'm like, please. <laughs> I mean, if you can avoid buying dust, you know, it's just it was just the smell. And you had to be so careful with it. You had to wear like two sets of gloves. And that that's well, what it is, is it's embalming fluid that's sprayed on marijuana and then dried. And then when you smoke it. It's it's if you ever want to if, if your listeners, you know, go on YouTube and look up, you know, what what Angel does does to you. I mean, it, it's terrible. Yeah, I, I hate to admit it, but I've, I've done that when I was uh, well, oh. <laughs> when I was younger. It's a uh, pretty rough. <laughs> doesn't that stuff doesn't that stuff like make your temperature, body temperature or you're under the impression that you're very warm because I know people have t they take their fucking clothes off and run around naked. Yeah, I mean different different strands. Like I guess it's got different strengths because some of it does you like that, and some of it you just feel all right on. But yeah, I used to I used to do a lot of drugs when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, that dust is nasty. That one's been there and done that. So. Yeah, I've done that before. Well, I'm glad you made it out alive. Oh yeah, I quit. Um, I know this is the strange thing about it. Like I know a lot of my friends and stuff that did drugs. They all got addicted to things and stuff. I never really got addicted to anything. Like I liked doing it, you know. But when I was when I was done doing it, I was like, I, I don't want to do it anymore. I didn't get withdrawals or anything. You're lucky you don't have an addictive personality, because you know so many people have, you know, they've ruined their lives. You yeah, know? destroy your life. Like yeah, sure. And, I, and I'll be honest, the only drug that I've probably not done is like the new stuff that's came out, like the fentanyl. I've never done that. Oh, don't do you ruin your life? Don't. I, I don't do drugs at all anymore. What's that? <laughs> what's the one that's bad in florida flocka flocka i've never yeah. done that that's yeah I've heard, i don't know exactly what that is but i've heard of it i i have i don't know what it is either but i mean you see some of these videos where these people that are high on that are like bath salts they'll yes, just i've heard about that run head first into walls or punch through <laughs> you know windshields and shit i mean it's that crocodile yeah it's that's, well we've had two incidents in florida where uh, a cop killed a guy in Miami. He was he was eating a guy's face. Yeah, I remember that. And, and 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 then you got another one where a college student 
attacked a he he was with his family. It was up uh, north part of Florida. He was out with his family and he just left them in the restaurant and he was wandering around this neighborhood and you had this older couple that was just sitting in their driveway and he just attacked him and he started chewing on them. And I mean, they didn't kill him. They shot him up. But I mean, he he killed he killed this couple. I mean, because of that, you know, supposedly that stuff. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I heard. I guarantee it's true. Like, would not if you're doing if you're on drugs, try to get help for it. By the way, because oh, absolutely. If you can't quit, you know, because it can. I've seen it destroy many of a very talented person. Yeah. Um. But like, I don't know. There's some drugs out there that when you take it, you just lose who you are. You're right. Self anymore. It's insane. And you can watch yourself be that person, but you can't stop it. It's insane. Oh, like, I don't uh, want to think about it. Even even like prescription medication, like Xanaxes. Like, um, I used to do Xanaxes a lot, and I could do two or three and be like I am right now. But if I did like four or five. I'd start stealing shit. <laughs> no, I don't. Stay the fuck away from that shit. <laughs> and um, when I broke my back, everybody's like, you need to start, you need to get your pain pills and everything. I was like, I can't do my pain pills because I quit doing drugs by then. And I was like, why not? I was like, I'll be out here stealing fucking hubcaps. <laughs> yeah, you're 100% right. <laughs> like, I he's he's a shit. different guy than what he used to be. That's for sure. Mom, I'm glad you're normal. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't call him normal. All right, how about functioning member of society? Not a functioning member of society. I work and stuff. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, which one is your latest book that you that you put out? The one on uh, NYPD Law and Disorder. Okay, what are some good ones from that from that book that we haven't went over yet? Uh, there's a bunch of them. There's um. I start the book off of embarrassing moments, like a couple of embarrassing things that happened to me that you wouldn't think that would happen to a cop. So one of the stories is um, early in my NYPD career, um, my partner and I are driving around. We see this cab. We think it's getting robbed. We pull it over in the back seat. There's four guys with four kilos of coke. They start throwing the drugs around. They're passing it around the back seat of the car. We lock them up. I'm walking around the station house like I won the Stanley Cup, parading around the kilos, taking pictures of them. My friends, you know, everybody, it's really cool. Um, my lieutenant, you know, they, that's one thing about the NYPD. They don't play with, I mean, they're so afraid of corruption. Like the first thing, as soon as that paperwork was done, that those drugs were going to the lab. Like two lieutenants took that down to the lab and made sure, you know, it was down there. So I was so excited. So in New York, after you make an arrest, you have to meet with the district attorney that night. And uh, so I go down there and the courthouse is in the South Bronx. And I said, you know what, before I go talk to the district attorney, I'm going to get something to eat. So across the street from the courthouse, they had just built this food court, like a little shopping mall. So I go in there and I order a veal parmesan and, uh, you know, a soda and having something to eat and you know, I'm all excited about this arrest. And the next thing you know, my stomach starts going. And I've had a bad stomach my whole life. It's like, all right, I got to go, like, now. <laughs> so I said, you know what? I'll use the bathroom here. It's this new food court. There's no one in it. You know, it's later in the evening. And I know the food court's going to be a hell of a lot cleaner than the courthouse across the street. <laughs> so go into this brand new clean bathroom. I go in there. I take my gun belt off. I hang it on the back of the bathroom stall. You know, it's got the little hook. Yeah. Hang yeah. it on there. Take off my uniform pants, drop them to my knees. I sit on the toilet, get ready for blast off, right? Next <laughs> thing I know, the fucking bathroom door in the front of the men's room comes crashing open, and I hear fucking teenagers. And they're screaming and turning on the fountains and kicking shit and hitting all the hand fans. The hand dryers are going on. And I'm like, fuck. This is just what I need, right? I'm trying to take a dump in here, and I got all these fucking wild kids in here. <laughs> then it gets quiet. It gets real quiet. And I go, did they leave? Or did they notice a pair of fucking legs underneath the floor, and now they're, they're knocking the shit off, right? For whatever reason, I decide. Now, I'm on the bowl, in <laughs> uniform, gun belts on the hook. I look up. There's a fucking kid hanging over the so he's in the next stall standing on the toilet hanging over the fucking wall trying to pull at my gun belt trying to grab it well this is the bronx 
I mean, so I fucking jump. Now, I jump up with one hand trying to pull with my left hand, right? Trying to pull up my pants. The other hand, I reach up and I grab him by the fucking throat. <laughs> and when I pull him over the wall, what do I do? As I pull him towards me, he grabs my gun belt. Oh, shit. Now I'm in the fight. Of my, he's got my gun belt. Yeah. So now I let my pants go. And now I'm just fucking, I'm just swinging, right? <laughs> swinging, 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 right? Cracked him a couple of times. He lets go of the gun belt. The gun belt hits the floor like, like a fumble. It goes down, right? So I'm still holding on to him. And I'm trying to pull him over the wall. His friends run into the next stall. They grab his legs. I'm playing fucking tug of war with a teenager. I got him by his shirt and his neck, right? They're pulling his legs. We're going back and forth, but he's sweaty now. So it's kind of hard, you know, to hold on to him. Yeah. Fucking his shirt tore, and he goes right over the wall, and you hear like an explosion because he crashes into his friends. The whole fucking bathroom stall wall, like, shakes <laughs> I go, you motherfucker right i'm putting my pants on right i'm putting my pants on. i hear them running out laughing i get my fucking pants up i zip it i get pick up my gun belt i hook it back on i fucking hit it i go running out into the fucking food court and there's like a 300 pound porter with like a floor polisher he's buffing the floor so i run over to him i go did you see a bunch of kids run out of here he just twitches his shoulder there's no one there's, they're gone gone <laughs> So like in the book, I go, what do I do at this point? Call the fucking police? I am the police, right? <laughs> if I call a radio car, the responding cops are going to laugh their asses off at me. I'm not going to tell anybody this story. Well, I'm telling the story now because I'm making money off it on a book. But that's a story from one of my books about embarrassing moments, about things that you would never think happen to cops. But I almost had a, trying to take a dump with my gun belt hooked on the thing. I mean, you know, the kid almost took my gun belts over the side of the bathroom wall. My question is, is were you able to take the shit before you had to go take the go talk to the D.A.? Oh, God, you know what? I, this is so long ago. This is almost thir this is this is 30 years ago. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, before I went to see the D.A. Yeah. I, yeah. But I don't remember if I was in mid dump or pre dump. I don't I mean, it's a long fucking time. But I remember I could remember that kid's face. <laughs> You know, when I was a teenager, I thought, you know, we was pretty cool and shit. But now when I see groups of teenagers, I, I, I kind of get pissed off just immediately. I don't know why. Because <laughs> we've all become more angry old men. <laughs> you think of all the shit you did back when you were a teenager and thinking, God, these kids. Oh, no, man. <laughs> they, they piss me off, like, just the things they talk about. <laughs> like, when you go and go Different play world. Yeah, it's weird. And the new music that's coming out is fucking blows my mind. <laughs> but country, I know, don't we sound like our parents? <laughs> country's making a comeback though. Good outlaw country. If yeah, you like yeah. Country. Ian No and Tyler Childers and all that. <laughs> I remember. I remember in the mid '80s, I was a teenager and MTV had just started, and my father came home, and I don't remember if it was ZZ Top or Van Halen, and I'm watching it. My father goes, "Who the fuck are these guys?" And I'm like. <laughs> Dad, that's ZZ Top. But he goes, I wouldn't know those assholes if they were playing in my basement. Get that shit off the fucking television. <laughs> yeah, I got, okay. when I was, uh, when MTV first came out, and this, this was during the Prince era, and there's one video where he's uh, basically crawling across the floor half buck naked. Uh, that's when I was cut off from MTV. <laughs> my mom was sitting there, and that video came on. I'm laying on the couch and she's behind me in her barca lounger and that video comes on. And I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> and she looks up and goes, turn it off. <laughs> how, how old are you? I was probably, no, how old are you now? I'm, I'm 49. Oh yeah. You were younger than, okay. Yeah. 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 Cause I would MTV start like 82 and I was, what was I like 15, 16. So you would have been a youngin. you know what I mean? Like, oh, I was, I was, uh, I was <laughs> according to her, way too young to be watching that. So I got cut off from the MTV. Well, Who's, nowadays you put the fucking TV on before a show starts and it's like, it, it, it's got like a million warnings. Like the other day I saw one, it says smoking. Like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? It's not like, it's not like you're going to get cancer from watching this. We've got on our intro, I've had to put a uh, warning tobacco use. <laughs> yeah. Did you really? 
Yeah, I will will watch some movies that, you know, it comes up with those warnings and it says smoking. And it's like a movie I've watched before. And I'm thinking, where in the movie do they smoke? Yeah. Yeah. They Um, might be like a guy across the street that flicks a cigarette butt or something. You know what I mean? yeah, Yeah. But what's so strange is now if a movie has somebody smoking weed in it, pay attention to this. The new movies that come out with people smoking weed don't have those warnings. That's a double standard. <laughs> I, like, well, I just noticed about the smoking thing. Like, <laughs> I just was on TV and I'm like, so that's not going to make a kid smoke. Kids smoke because their friends smoke. Or they like. I like to tell the story. I was in uh, sixth grade and my friend and I found a pack of Marlboros. Someone dropped a full pack of Marlboros. And a, around, around the corner from my school was a... It was like a nursing home that like they it was half completed and we went in there after school and like, you know, fools, the two of us smoke a pack of Marlboro's in a half hour. <laughs> and we're sicker than do we're throwing up. And I mean, I was sick, like fucking drunk and sick, but on Marlboro's. And then my mother knew what was up. And then when my father came home, he's like, you want one of my cigarettes? I'm like, Dad, I- I'm never going to touch those fucking things again. Like, that was it for me. I was like scared straight. Yeah, yeah, that'll yeah, you get an experience like that, that'll break you right off when you're young. I, I was an anomaly when it came to smoking cigarettes. Like, I started smoking weed like way before I started smoking cigarettes. I was 11 when I started smoking pot, and I didn't start smoking cigarettes till I was old enough to buy them. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know why I even started. <laughs> here's, here's something that may blow your mind. Uh, you got to realize that when I was in high school, middle school. Kentucky was a huge tobacco growing state. Yeah. Okay. Still or no? Yeah, still is. But yeah. Okay. It's a little different scenario now, but it's all corporate shit. Yeah, now. it's all corporate. But um, we had a smoking area at our high school. Now think. I about believe it. that. You nobody maybe three kids in the whole school were technically old enough to buy cigarettes, mm. but the smoking area would just be filled with I'm, kids out there. You know. I remember in grade school we had uh we get extra recesses because our teacher would be like I need a cigarette who wants to go outside and we go outside and she'd smoke a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, we had we had teachers like that. I, I didn't smoke, but yeah, like my friends would bum a cigarette off like the history teacher or vice versa. Uh, I gotta tell this funny story on on myself. So now you gotta be twenty one. When I was in high school, my uncle was the principal. Oh, I okay. Was, I was on student council and, you know, thing with student council, you know, we kind of presented stuff to the administration, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I had so many people wanting me to see if they could put cigarette machines in. And I had to go to my uncle Raymond and say, well, one of the things they brought up was uh, putting cigarette machines in uncle Raymond. And he looked at me, he went, now, David Scott, <laughs> you know the answer to that one. We'll get one tomorrow. <laughs> you should have told him, hey, Unc, um, the girls want tampon machines. <laughs> bust his balls. I don't know. Kentucky, man, it was always behind the times. Like, when I, I was born in 85, so I was, I was like a preteen in the late 90s and early 2000s. And I was a teenager in the early 2000s, whatever. And, like, if I wanted cigarettes or anything, it was still you had to be 18 to buy them. But I didn't smoke. But if my friends wanted them, I'd go to a store and be like, hey, can I get some cigarettes? And they knew who I was. And they'd sell it to me. No issue. Weird. <laughs> no, my brother. We were little kids. My brother used to go up to the liquor store and get my grandmother brandy. <laughs> now she'd, the, send, she'd send my brother, like, 13 years old to get a pint of brandy, you know. Now get, the the liquor get my thing, change back. The liquor thing around here was easy. Dad'd be like, "Go get me a case of beer." When I was like twelve, but we didn't. We wasn't wet, so they didn't sell alcohol. So you just go to bootlegger. They didn't care how old you was. Yeah, we <laughs> this, this county that we live in uh, has only been wet about what five six years. About five six years. Yeah. So before that, you had to go to a bootlegger unless you wanted to drive about fifty miles to get yeah. alcohol. Are you allowed to bring alcohol to your home in that county? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But they They, just don't sell it. Right. And places that sell um, beer, like gas stations and places like that, they can't sell liquor. There's only 
there they have to be liquor stores so but the cool thing is during the whole pandemic when everything got shut down and it was takeout only you could get beer to go down here at Cheddar's. oh wow you could get beer to go at restaurants <laughs> they give you a fucking sippy cup <laughs> enjoy your drive home <laughs> The world, the world's changed with that. Like people ask me like in New York, like we didn't really deal with, I mean, DUIs in New York. Well, first of all, I mean, when I was a cop, the breath alcohol thing was 0.10. Oh, damn. And, uh, then they kept lowering it to 0 0.09, 0 0.08. Now it's going to be, if you have a, you know, cough syrup, you know, your DUI and, um, it, it, it just, um, the, the amount of emphasis, it, it, they just, it wasn't a big deal in New York. Like just, there was just too much going on. There was just too much crime. Like if, listen, if someone got into an accident and hurt somebody and they were drunk, yeah, they were going to jail or, um, um, you know, someone damages someone's car and the person notices they're drunk and say, Hey, this guy is drunk. And you know, you do the test and if they're drunk, you take him to jail, but it wasn't the emphasis where you had squadrons. You know what I mean? Like we had a DWI unit and early in my career, I got put in the DWI unit and I hated it because there's no advantages to locking up a drunk. There's really not. They're either extremely happy, they're extremely sad and crying, or they want to fight. It's one of the three and you're usually going to get the, the, the last two and okay. drunks are just terrible to deal with. It's like, you know, and then they start getting sloppy and tired and they piss themselves and you know, a lot of times with DUIs, it's someone that's made a mistake. They're not a criminal. They're not. It's just they made an error in judgment. And listen, you're a criminal if you're an alcoholic and you keep getting locked up for DUI. Well, you know, obviously there's a problem there. But I mean, you know, how many people, you know, work at a TJI Fridays and had one beer too many and they get stopped and then, you know, it kind of ruins their life. And they're not criminals. It's they made a mistake. I, I just think that there's, I don't know, maybe doing something civilly as opposed to criminally, because I just think it clogs up the criminal justice system. I, I Something should be done. But I just think that running all these people that aren't normally criminals that made a mistake and running them through the system like the same as a bank robber or anything else, they're getting fingerprinted, photographed, got to sit in a jail cell. For an error in judgment, I, I don't know. It just, for me, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. It's kind of some of those situations where you just need to take them home, let them sleep it off. So around here, stuff. around here, like they they don't really have a whole lot else to do though, so they're they get a real hard on for. Well, they should find something else. I mean, <laughs> yeah. last time I went to jail, I was really drunk, and I I, I was always a happy one, you know. <laughs> Whenever the, I was a, I, I wasn't driving. I was in the passenger seat and they took me to jail. When they came up to the car, I was like, which car do you guys want me to get in? I was like, I know where we're going. <laughs> this one right here. <laughs> if you, I'll tell you what, I bet you those cops never probably tell that story all the time. Probably. <laughs> probably do. And, um, another thing, whenever we got into the jail, so I was so drunk. I don't remember this, but my buddies told me. I got up at one point in the middle of the night to go piss and I must've thought I was at home. So I went to the door trying to twist the doorknob and there wasn't one. So I just fucked unzipped and pissed on the door. <laughs> I'll tell you a wild story. I used to date a girl and, um, I was an adult. Like I was in my like late twenties and her parents had this really nice house. And, um, I stayed over there a couple of times and, uh, her brother was an alcoholic, just, nice guy but he was an alcoholic and um one time it's in the middle of the night and i wake up and i think someone's in the room i just you, you know you you wake up it's pitch black but you, you hear something there's just something someone's in the room and i'm trying to get it's not my my room so you know you know when you sleep in someplace else for the first or second time you, you really don't know where you are when yeah. you first wake up you don't know where the bathroom is like you know what I mean? Like in your house, you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, ex even in the dark, you know, exactly three steps, make a right. I, I kind of look up. I'm trying to get my vision. Her brother is in the bedroom with me and he's pissing into the side of a, a, a coffee, ta a, a, a table, a, a, like a, a nightstand, like pissing, like right next to my head. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Phil, what are you doing? And he's like, huh? 
I go, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> okay. And he just kind of stumbled back to his room, right? So the next day, my ex-girlfriend goes, how'd you sleep? I go, well, it's funny you should say that. I said, your brother came in the room last night and almost fucking pissed in my, my face. She goes, what are you talking about? So she didn't believe me. She thought I was making it up. So I walked her up there and she put her finger on the carpet. She goes, oh, my God. And I go, don't say anything. You're just going to make he don't remember. You know what I mean? I should have just locked the fucking door. But I mean, and he was a grown man. He was like, you know, he was like 30 something years old. But, you know, scared the living shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, that would be a rude awakening in the middle of night when you. Not used to being somewhere. It'd be terrible. Well, I was afraid of scaring him. What if he turned? He's <laughs> <laughs> gonna fucking piss all over me. I mean, it's bad enough he's pissing next to me. I mean, I don't want him pissing on me, you know? Oh, that would be one of those situations where you gently grab him by the hip and just turn him the other way. <laughs> Dude, it was pitch black, and I didn't want to touch anything. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Good idea. <laughs> So, give us a um an odd, maybe an odd charge that you had to do for somebody, like a something. Okay, you charge. I got one. For you. Okay, all right. So, I used to work at one point in this affluent area. It was like many rich people live there, and um, driving by, and uh, I see we're just you know. Drive, you, as a cop, a lot of times you look at things differently. So when you drive by stores, a lot of times you look in the windows. You never know. You might catch a holdup or something. So we're just cruising through. It was a Friday. I'll never forget. It was it was like a Friday in the winter, probably about four or five o'clock. So sun's starting to go down. And um, driving by and uh, inside this dry cleaner, I see like a there's a brawl going on in a dry cleaner, right? My partner and I slam on the brakes. We jump out, and there's this middle-aged, well, maybe not middle-aged, probably late 30s, this woman behind the counter. She's behind the counter of a Chinese laundry, okay? And she's holding on to a fur coat, and the Chinese employees are karate chopping the shit out of her. <laughs> and she's screaming. She's behind the counter. I want it back. And they're like, hi. You know, it's like a big brawl going on, right? So we break it up, you know, all right, all right. So it's two women in the store. One's behind the counter, is about 38 years old, and her mother's late 50s, early 60s. What's going on? What's going on? So the mother starts to explain. She goes, I'm going through a divorce. She goes, my husband, my soon-to-be ex-husband, took my furs, and he put them in storage here. She goes, they're mine. I want them back. So I said, all right, let me get to the bottom of this. So I go to the Chinese people. I go, who brought the furs in? They said, let's just, I'm making up names. Mr. Feldman. So Mr. Feldman brought the things in. Does Mr. Feldman have the ticket? He goes, yeah. He goes, she doesn't have the ticket. Mr. Feldman has the ticket. Mr. Feldman dropped off the furs, put them in storage with us, and basically told us, don't give them to anybody but me. I have the ticket. So these so what happened was the mother and her daughter figured out where Mr. Feldman hid the furs in this dry cleaner. So I said, okay. I says, well, here's the deal. I said, I said, I says, this, this, this is something that's got to go to court. Okay, you know where the furs are. You can't have them. Your husband put them in there. Well, but they're mine. I says, well, I don't know that to be true. Yeah. Do you have a receipt for them? Well, no, he gave them to me as a gift. I go, you're going to have to go to court. This is something that during your divorce proceedings, your attorney and his attorney are going to have to figure this out. You just can't run into this Chinese laundry and pull your crap out because you say it's yours. Your husband put them in here. The daughter, who, who has no claim to anything, who was behind the counter, Gets up in my face. You don't understand. My father's an evil man. It's just carrying, making matters worse. I said, you know what? Get out of the store. This is between your mother and the store owners. I says, get out of the store. Stand outside. I don't want you in here because you're bringing nothing but the table, nothing to the table but hysteria. She runs outside. I'm trying to calm the mother down. I'm trying to ask the Chinese guys, do you want to press charges? And they're like, not really. I says, okay, so we're going to, we're going to refer this to court. 
You can't have your furs. They're going to hold on to the furs. You tell your attorney, you know where they are. This is going to court. The daughter is outside and she's yelling and screaming after I threw her out of the store. She punches the window. Oh, shit. And the plate glass window just goes. So I turn, just explodes. And I turn to the Chinese guy. I go, you want her arrested now? He goes, yep. So <laughs> I, I start, now I'm in uniform. She goes, no. She takes off running. I'm chasing this middle-aged woman in the snow <laughs> down Riverdale Avenue, right? I said, stop running. You're not going anywhere. I finally catch up to her. I put her in handcuffs. She's yelling and screaming the whole way down to court. It was like it's just somebody that she had nothing to do with it. It was between her mother, husband, and the Chinese laundry, and she decided to put herself in there over these stupid furs. Broke a plate glass window, winds up getting herself arrested, and she had to spend the weekend in jail. I bet when that fucking glass shattered, she shit a little. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what she looked like? You ever see a kid do something wrong? Yeah. And they go, oops, like that look, and then she knew. Because I, I kind of wanted to arrest her for trespass going behind the counter and, and you know, fucking with the, 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 um, the dry cleaner employees because she was like, you know. You don't go behind a counter of someone's business and start tearing the place apart. No, you just go outside and bust out the complaint glass window. <laughs> and that's exactly what she did. Yeah, my. <laughs> I've accidentally busted out a window before buzzing my own vehicle. Oh, I was pissed off because I locked my keys in there and I fucking just gave it a little love tap and it just shattered. I was like, well, shit. <laughs> all right, I got. All right, you want to hear? Okay, so. It, all right, so you guys, you guys have cold winters, right? Yes. Have you ever had, have you ever had your door lock freeze? Yes, actually, okay. uh, I haven't. Not that bad. Uh, well, it sucks yeah, because no. unless you got that de-icer or a lighter, or sometimes if you light the key, you take a lighter and you heat the living shit out of the key, which you burn your hand, and you get that key nice and hot and can kind of wiggle it into the lock, and that'll melt the ice enough that you can turn the lock, like on the older cars. Right. You know, I'm talking about cars from the 80s and 90s. So I'm in narcotics. It's the middle of winter. We're in an ice storm. Me and a bunch of undercovers are upstairs in the in the station house filling out the paperwork. Right. It's dark. It's time to go home. We go. It's ice. Just ice is coming down in snow. We, we had a Chevy Caprice. We had a four door Chevy Caprice maroon. Right. We go over the car. Key won't fit in the lock. And the ice is just coming down and down and down and down. So I tell one of the undercovers, I go. Run into the station house and get a road flare. So he comes back with a road flare. I strike the road flare, right? Fucking road flare is hot. It's not my car. It's the city of New York's car. And it was a shitbox to begin with. So I take the road flare and I start, I put it on the door. You know, like the Chevy door locks. It was like a circle. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I got that road flare and I'm getting that circle really red hot, right? Red hot. Because <laughs> I'm not going to do it on the key. I'm going to do it on the lock. Yeah. Get that thing red hot and melt all the snow around it, right? Key won't fit in the fucking lock. It just won't. It's still frozen. Go around to the other door lock. Do the same thing, right? Yeah. Won't fucking do it. So one of the undercovers goes, hey, Vic, didn't you park across the street? I look across the street. <laughs> we had the same color car across the street. I go, oh, fuck. And doing that, I burnt paint. <laughs> the, like so i burnt like circles around the fucking paint we go across the street the lock the key fits right in the fucking door we drove away because i go i'm not fucking telling the precinct we just fucked up there because it was another it was another nypd car that belonged to another unit every time we would drive by that station house we'd laugh our asses off because it looked like a fucking ufo burnt out their door the paint around the door lock <laughs> like for fucking like for a whole year like we go there, there they go like you'd see that car yep. with the lock all the the paint all burnt around the lock that's great but... <laughs> oh, yeah, didn't you park across the street man <laughs> oh wow i'll never forget that i'll never forget that the undercover goes hey vic didn't, didn't we park across the street I go, oh shit <laughs> <laughs> If you want to see some or read about some of the stupid stuff that uh, NYPD and uh, a guy by the name of Vic Ferrari have done, check out his books, uh, NYPD Through the Looking Glass. 
uh, Grand Theft Auto, uh, NYPD's Flying Circus, Dickheads and Debauchery, and the new one. one. Still can't remember. I still can't remember name either. I, I what the new it. one? Yeah, the new one. Oh, NYPD Law and Disorder. Law and Disorder. Yep. Shit. But uh, tell them where you can find your stuff at. Uh, all my books are on Amazon. I try to keep the price relatively low. It would, would make it a little money. So if you're going to order an ebook, it's two ninety nine, or paperback is ten bucks with shipping. And it, all my books are available on Amazon. And uh, if you're like me, the paperbacks are probably best to have because I like having physical copies. Yeah, <laughs> same way. Yeah, I'm, I can't. Yeah, I can't get into ebook, but my but there's a whole market out there for ebooks. So that's where you can find all his stuff. So uh, thank you so much for watching us. You can find us for the time being. You can still find the old videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash we're in default. Um, we're, we've moved to BitChute. You can find us at bitshoot.com slash we're in default. Uh, you can uh, find us on anchor.fm.com slash we're in default. And you can follow us on Twitter at we're in default, surprisingly. And if you want to be a guest, reach out to us through Twitter or email us at bipolar underscore teddy bear at outlook.com. And thank you for watching us because we're watching you.